This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. The reading this morning again is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country and your people. Leave your father's family. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will put a curse on anyone who calls down a curse on you. All nations on earth will be blessed because of you. So Abram left, just as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he went, when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, and his nephew Lot. They took all of the things they had gotten in Haran. They also took the workers they had gotten there. I am uh, delighted to be here with you uh, in the continuing saga of will uh, will the pastor catch a fish bigger than four inches before he leaves? I spent uh, the day on Monday with a friend uh, drift boating the Kenai. Um, what was it? I think it was the middle Kenai. I'm not exactly sure. I don't think it was the lower, and I don't think it was the upper. But at any rate, see, the fact that I even know that. I mean, when, when is that going to help me ever in the future? Upper, middle, lower, <laughs> but I do. Anyway, six hours in a boat, standing up on a drift boat. I've never done that before, you know, so there, there's, there's some aerobic exercise trying to keep from falling out of the boat. And of course, I've learned very early on from very competent fishermen that the first rule of fishing is, you know what it is? Your hook has to be in the water, right? So, for six hours, my hook was in the water, and, and we were fishing beads. We were, for those of you who don't know what that is, don't worry about it. And because I didn't until till Monday, and uh, right here, nothing, no bites, nothing. So I'm running out of time. I think what this means is if if I can't catch something before I leave, I'm coming back up here next year, and I'm going fishing. I. I that's the first my wife has heard that, by the way, so just so. Well, um, the title of my sermon today is Missio Dei. Missio Dei is Latin, a Latin phrase. Can anybody guess what it means? Of, oh, of course. The mission of God. Missio Dei, the mission of God. And as I round the corner of my ministry here, heading for the home stretch, I want to paint a picture for you of what animates me, what what makes me excited, what calls me uh, to do what I do and why I do what I do. And uh, I figure toward toward the end, um, some have commented to me, "Hey, man, your your sermons, you, you know, they're pretty good. I mean, in fact, you're getting better." And I say, "You just wait, because I'm I'm a completely lame duck, and I'm gonna I'm gonna preach the best sermons that I've ever preached." 
And, uh, and the reason is, it's not necessarily because I'm any better. It's because I'm preaching stuff that, that I am passionate about. In fact, the mission of God, and you can ask my wife, um, this, this is what uh, animates me. This is what called me into the ministry to begin with. In 1977? 79. Is that when we went to Urbana? 80, 81 or 80. Anyway, a long time ago. See, the fact that she doesn't remember, that's really a good thing for me because I don't look so stupid. Uh, uh, a long time ago, 1980, 81 or so, we went to a conference that was put on by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's held every three or four years. It's called Urbana. And, and at the time, I'm not sure if it's still true, it was the largest mission conference in the world where college students... Uh, would come and they would hear, you know, speakers and they would be inspired by, by, uh, leaders and they would take workshops in order that God would raise up this new generation of, of, uh, followers who would be committed to the Missio Day. And I, I can point directly my passion for this subject to uh, one of the evenings at this conference, and the speaker, I don't even remember who it was, which is not unusual uh, for us. When, when God speaks, it doesn't matter who the human being is through whom God is doing the speaking, right? We just remember, uh, like it's burned into our memory what God was saying. And, and God, and God uh, said, so Brad, I want you to be involved in, the mission of, uh, in my mission. And at that point, I said, yeah, I'll do it. Now, at the time, I thought it meant I was going to go on to the mission field and, and live in some jungle hut and, and wear knickers and have a pith helmet and carry around a butterfly net. That's what I thought. But what actually happened is, is that God called me into ministry in the church and um, I w- was called to express this passion to, to the churches that I've served. And so um, y- you wouldn't know this, but... Probably every single church I've ever served, if you were to ask any person over the last 20 years, okay, what's Pastor Brad's hobby horse? Because every pastor has them. To a person, I am almost positive they would say, mission of God. So, uh, as that is an introduction, we're going to spend the next few moments looking at this mission of God, this Missio Day, and I want you to catch a glimpse of the heart of God who has a mission, and this same God, and here's the, here's the hard part, this same God invites us to participate in this mission. A few weeks ago, while I was in the middle of our last sermon series on the four words, someone came up to me after the service and said something to me like this. I love the fact that you are preaching on our four values. But I think you're missing one. And I said, oh, really? Uh, I mean, I, there's, I can, there's only four banners. There can't be any more, can there? Um, and they said, we're missing the value that we exist to change the world. We exist to be on a mission for God, not only in Eagle River, but in the Anchorage Bowl and the state of Alaska and the world. That's another value of this congregation. And I think he's right. I think he's right. And even though perhaps an argument can be made that this value is, is implicit in all those other values, which I think it probably is, sometimes if we are not explicit about our values, we run the risk, the risk of forgetting the reason why we're here. So, 
Not to mess with the four words that we've already covered, but if you will allow me the privilege to add this one word, and that is mission, as a, as a fundamental value. 17 years ago, or maybe 18 now, when this congregation was founded by a small group of people who gathered in somebody's living room someplace, they agreed that they wanted to form a congregation that had at its core a desire to see lost people found. That was the desire, 18 years ago. And as they pursued that dream, as they went after that vision, as they, as they followed that mission, God has used them and us to have an impact that far exceeds the footprint of this facility. So if you believe, as I do, that the, that the Missio Dei, the mission of God, is at the core of why we exist, then I hope you don't mind if I, I spend a couple minutes today um, describing what that mission looks like and why I think it matters for, uh, for us. Especially as we look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture from Genesis chapter 12. Now, if you were to ask uh, what passage of Scripture kind of presents the clearest picture of, of, uh, of evidence that God has created us for some kind of mission, I'm sure some of you would say, well, of course, Matthew 28, where uh, Jesus, right before he departs from, from earth, says to his disciples, go therefore and into the world and make disciples, baptizing them and so on and so forth. And that, that is a great mission text. Don't misunderstand me. And if, the, and if that's the text that animates you, you know, go for it. Some of you might point to the book of Acts and, well, where Luke gives us this description of G, this same commission, but in a little different uh, set of words. And, he, and in this version of the Great Commission, Jesus says, After you have received the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, excuse me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the early disciples of Jesus had no idea at that time what Jesus was talking about. Their, their world was very small. But that's exactly what happened. Think about it. In a matter of, of two generations, the Christian movement was the fastest growing missionary movement on earth. So what Jesus said happened. But even before these obvious texts that speak directly to this mission of God and the role of the church, there was another text that if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, we can see the heart of God has been about mission for a long, long time. Check this out. The Lord said to Abram, Abram, by the way, is Abraham. He hasn't had his name changed by God yet, so if you're confused about that, it's Abraham. And in fact, Sarai is Sarah, just so you know. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country and your people. Leave your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you a great name. 
You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will put a curse on anyone who calls down a curse on you. All nations on earth will be blessed because of you. Now you see, Abraham was a, was a wealthy man. He was married to a beautiful wife. How do we know that? Because uh, a few chapters later, one of the kings or uh, tribal leaders in another area, when Abraham and his clan shows up, makes a pass at Sarah, and Abraham doesn't do anything about it. Remember that story? Maybe you don't. You can ask your next pastor about that. Anyway, Abraham had a beautiful wife. He owned property. He had livestock. He had a reputation. He had a desire to be used by God. The only problem was that Sarah was unable to have children. And in the ancient world, if you didn't have a legacy, if you didn't have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, well, you rarely you lived long enough to see great-grandchildren in those days. But if you didn't have a legacy, you could have all the resources in the world and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. The only way that Abram could possibly make a difference on earth as he, as he listened to God uh, tell him about this great blessing that he was going to be was if he could have children who could share his wealth as they grew older and pass that on and on and on and so on. One day, God said to Abram, I've heard your prayers. Get up. Get up and leave, and I will bless you. Get up and leave, and I will make your name great among the nations. Get up and leave, and you will be a blessing to others. Are you, are you seeing a pattern here? Get up and leave, and I will bless those who will bless you. Now, <laughs> Abram was a man of faith. But he wasn't foolish. Could God possibly mean what he was saying? Abraham has spent years working hard to accumulate all of this, the resources that he had, all of the stuff. Could God possibly be asking him to throw it all away? Now, whenever I, whenever I read this story, I often wonder what the conversation around the dinner table might have looked like between Abram and his wife, Sarai, that night after he had this uh, conversation with God. And, and in my imagination, I think the conversation goes something like this. Abram, had a conversation with God today. Sarah, oh, what about? Abram, you know, the usual. Talked about good weather for the crops, wanted to be part of his... Um, talked about the coming calving season. And oh, I... Um, I also mentioned to God that I wanted to be part of his larger mission in the world. Sarah. And and what did God say about that? As she spooned another helping of leeks and potatoes onto his plate. Abram. Oh, I don't know. The wind picked up and God's voice kind of broke up. I didn't catch all of it. I I think he said that he would bless us. uh, Make our, our name great and be a blessing to others and... And one more thing. He said we had to get up and leave. Sarah, we have to do what? Abram, he said we have to move. We need to get up and leave, and and he will bless us, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of us. Sarah, with a hint of sarcasm in her voice. Listen, 
So we are going to bless the world. Abram, we're old. We don't have any children. And you've said yourself, our nephew Lot isn't responsible enough to take over the farm. Abram, yeah, that's what I said. But God said we need to get up and leave. Sarah. Abram, I've had just about enough of this. The next time you talk to God, you tell Him that we've been praying for children for years, and if He wants to bless us, He can start there. Abram, as he shoved another piece of bread in his mouth, yes, dear. Now, I don't really know what the conversation looked like exactly, but I have this hunch that the mission of God that Abram believed God was calling him to didn't sit so well with Sarah. In fact, I suspect that he and Sarah had a number of conversations uh, following this encounter about God's request. And we, and we know from reading this story that Abraham and Sarah eventually came to terms with this call. And they got up and they left everything that they had in order to be faithful to that call. We know that. So this leads me to my first observation for you this morning about the nature of the mission of God, and that is this. God promises to make us fruitful in the mission. God promises to make us fruitful in the mission. God says to Abram, if you want to join me in mission, then you've got to get up and you've got to leave. God's mission always implies, and I don't know why this thing is falling off my ear. Maybe my, I've, I've been dieting, so maybe my ears have lost a little weight or something. I don't know. Uh, God's mission always implies leaving something behind. All of the livestock, all of the property, all of their extended family, all of the influence. Surely God could use some of that to help jumpstart our mission, Abraham thought. Nope. Leave it. In order for the world to see the work of God, our fruitfulness needs to come from the hand of God and not be conceived by the world as something that we have done. Do you see what I'm saying? As long as we cart all of our resourcefulness with us wherever we go, then people can look at us and say, hey, that's a really resourceful guy. Look how he survives in all this transition with all his stuff. But the moment we have nothing to rely on, all of a sudden people look at us and go, what an idiot. He must really believe in a God that's going to take care of him. The promise of God is a promise to make us fruitful. Abram and Sarah were without children, as I mentioned. Their view of being fruitful in this context was, was to have children who could carry on that legacy. And their view of fruitfulness was, was, uh, was the division of all of Abraham's wealth and property among his sons. Their view of fruitfulness was to grow old knowing that they had a part in the success of their children. Does this sound familiar? If you think about it, that's not too much different from our view of fruitfulness either, is it? We, we work our fingers to the bone in jobs that we don't like so that we can give our children every opportunity that they desire, launch them into adulthood, and then visit them on Christmas and Easter and give their children back to them when their diapers need to be changed. That's everybody's dream, right? At least that's mine. 
The fruitfulness of God is not about wealth and stature. It's not about livestock or possessions. The fruitfulness of God is always about blessing. We have been given much so that we must in return give much to others. That's how we become fruitful in this missio day, this mission of God. God promises to make us fruitful, but fruitfulness always comes at a cost. We got, we got to get up and we got to leave. Now, don't just think about this, this getting up and leaving in terms of geography, although God may be calling some of us to do that. But the leaving that God is asking us also involves leaving behind anything that stands in the way of the mission of God. Our reputation, our power, our wealth, our security. This leaving may mean leaving aside our consumptive lifestyle. It may mean leaving behind our pursuit of the next promotion at work. It may mean leaving behind bitterness or anger that we have carried for a long time towards another person. The mission of God will always cost us something. The mission of God always calls us to get up and leave. Wow. And 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 if we're not if we're not listening, we're going to miss it. But if you listen long enough, I will guarantee you that you will be asked to get up and leave. The mission of God involves the promise to bless. About uh, 16 months ago, maybe 17 months ago, I was finishing up my ministry at Pine Lake Covenant Church, the church in the greater Seattle area that I served as the, as the transitional pastor before I came here. And not unlike the circumstances that Roxy and I find ourselves in at the very moment, we knew that the end was near. We could see the... We could see the train coming down the tracks, so to speak. And uh, I remember on a particular sunny afternoon, which in itself is sort of unusual in the Seattle area, um, if you know what I mean, I, uh, I was sort of perplexed. And I would be lying to you if I didn't say that there was some, some anxiety uh, you know, about seeing the train coming down the tracks and, not, and being on a bridge so you, in, a, in, a, in a cavernous uh, 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 Valley or something below, so you don't really have too many choice. Anyway, um, so I decided I'm going to just go uh, to my son's soccer tournament and kind of cl- clear my head. I, I always found watching my kids in athletics was sort of a cathartic, therapeutic thing because I could sort of live vicariously through their athletics and say, yeah, that's my boy. And so I did this so that I didn't have to think about the fact that I was finishing up at Pine Lake and I didn't know what was next. And I remember sitting there on the sideline. It was a beautiful day. I, I don't remember how well my son's team played. But I sat there and I was kind of praying, watching the game, you know, yelling, go team, praying a little bit more. And at one point I said, I said, God, could you just throw me a bone? <laughs> can, can you give me any, any indication of, of what's next? Where are you calling me? And at that moment, my thoughts, my prayers were interrupted by the sound of a, of a, a jet airplane. There, this, this, this field 
was right on the landing path of the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. And so I looked up to the rumble, and I saw a white plane with a picture of an Eskimo on the tail fin. And it said, Alaska. I'm just saying. (laughs) Who doesn't want to be blessed by God? Who among us doesn't yearn for God to say to us, here, let me bless you as you embark on, as we embark on mission together? The blessing for Abram and Sarah was that God did indeed fulfill their deepest yearning by providing them with a son. And a little later in Abram's life, God needed to get Abram's attention again, so he asked Abraham to take his son on a hike. You remember that? And, and to build an altar and to sacrifice his son on the altar, Isaac, as a sign of his faithfulness to God. Which, of course, God provided a ram and everything worked out fine. But, but the point is, is that God, God's blessing is not what we expect sometimes. It, it, it's, it's the generosity of a friend when, when money is running a little short. It's, it's the encouraging conversation that comes just at the right moment when you're discouraged about life. It's, it's the satisfaction of knowing that something we've said or done has brought joy and meaning to another person's life. The blessing of God is not contingent on anything that we do. But God wants to bless us because that's the nature of God. And if you and I want to be about what God's about, then we've got to pay attention to the mission. We will be blessed. It may not be what we expect. In my experience, it may not come until the, the 13th hour. I know it's the, the metaphor is supposed to be the 11th hour, but for me it's always the 13th. But blessed we will be. So I mentioned to you, I think a week or two ago, that Roxy and I as, uh, had made plans some time ago now to... To, to go on a little bit of a, a mission trip to to India, and uh, and, and we you know we were not aware of the transition that we were going through now, but it's okay you know when you make plans like this in advance, sometimes things happen. But um, so sometime back in August, we both applied for visas to be able to you know get into India. in the next couple weeks. We're leaving on Monday, actually. Well, Tuesday morning at 1 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I have been trying very um, diligently to sort of make contact because we still don't have our visas. We're still waiting on our passports. Um, You can do the math. We're less than, or we're about 24 hours away. And, uh, you know, I've been emailing and my emails go to some call center in India and then I call and I talk to somebody in India and I've got their speech down uh, perfect. And uh, finally, last Friday, or, or Thursday, I think, my heart basically said, it's not going to happen. You know, Rox, let's, 
let's make some other plans. And so whether we get to India or not, we have friends in the New York City, uh, New England area, so we'll, we'll fly as far as we can go and we'll spend a couple weeks uh, doing the mission of God, looking at uh, fall colors or something. Anyway, uh, it's, it's not our preferred uh, destination, but it, it is what it is. And so uh, Friday, I, I was sitting out in Beechwood Lodge, out in Beechwood Lake, out, out near, uh, well, Beechwood, I guess. Um, and I was about to perform a wedding at 5 o'clock. And at 4.30, I got there early, and I'm sitting in my car, and I get a phone call. And the, and the voice on the other end of the line, her name was Nora, she said, uh, Mr. Bergfalk, uh, this is Nora. I'm with the, um, I'm, I'm with the company that's processing your, your visa. And I just want you to know that we don't have a return envelope for you so that we can send you your visa. And I said, well, I sent you a return envelope. I paid for it, FedEx. You know, it was with my wife's, uh, visa application that was enclosed in that, uh, that package. And she goes, your wife is going with you? <laughs> I said, yeah. At any rate, we talked for about a, a half an hour. She goes, well, um, when do you need it? And I said, well, I'm, I'm leaving Alaska on Tuesday very early in the morning, and my flight uh, on British Airways is leaving at 11 p.m., 2,300 hours on Tuesday night for India. Oh, pff, you, well, you're never going to get that. You know, and it further confirmed my sense of, okay, whatever, God. We're, we're going to evangelize the leaves, the leaves. So uh, we talked a little bit, and for some reason, I, you know, I try not to play this card well, unless I have to, but I, I just thought, you know, maybe I need to tell her why I'm going to India. Maybe that will matter. So I said, you know, I just want you to, to be aware that I'm not going to India like a typical tourist to go see the Taj Mahal and eat spicy food. And I said, we're actually going to, to be part of a, a mission, a distribution of wheelchairs to, to children. And uh, so if that matters, uh, uh, you know, if there's anything that, that you can do, I'd really love it if you could help me out. She goes, well, you know, we, there's no way. She says, I've never, I've worked here for so many years, I've never seen a visa pro- application process that fast. So I said, okay, well, thank you very much for your time, hung up, and Walked, uh, and then five minutes later, I was uh, performing this wedding. So, I mean, you can tell the pastor's head is in the game, right? Uh, actually, it worked, it worked fine. But, uh, later that evening, because we had planned to go out to dinner, uh, Roxy and I at a, at an Indian restaurant on Friday night, and we had tickets to an Indian musical performance at the, at the, uh, Discovery Center. And I'm sitting in, uh, the restaurant, and I get an email on my phone, and it's this woman, Nora, and she says, I have talked to the highest ranking official in the consulate here in San Francisco. He's working overtime tomorrow, and he is willing to work with you and try to get you on a plane on Tuesday night. You need to send me your application and your wife's application again um, as soon as you can. So at midnight on Friday night, my wife and I and my uh, assistant uh, Sherry McDonald and her husband were here trying to figure out how I could get my application finished, turned into a PDF file, and sent us uh, Friday evening. Well, long story short, um, they're going to have to mail this application completed 
or the, our, our passports completed by Monday at 2 p.m. in order for it to arrive at the FedEx office on Tuesday at JFK Airport, where we will fly in, we get in at 8.20, the FedEx office closes at 9. We have a 40-minute window to, if they mail it, to, to go find this FedEx office and get our visas and our passports so we can get on a plane at 11 o'clock. So when I talk about God's call to mission being at the 13th hour, I think I know what I'm talking about. But that's what happens when we engage in the mission of God. And, and we not only are, 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 are to receive the promise of blessing, we also are promised to be a blessing. Scripture says, You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all nations on the earth will be blessed of you. You see, Abram was minding his own business. He was balancing the books. He was feeding his livestock. He was taking care of his estate. And he just happens to mention to God that he's willing to do whatever God desires for him because Abraham was a man of faith and he desired to be on the mission of God. And God says to Abraham, I'd love to have you join me in my mission, but it's going to cost you. You've got to get up and leave. You've got to rely on my provision rather than the life that you've built for yourself. You've got to trust me when I say that you will be blessed. And then along with that, God offers Abraham the promise that Abraham will be a blessing to others. And that's exactly what happened. Just like God promised, Abram and Sarah did have a son. And Isaac had two sons, and one of those was named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And to this day, the most faithful Jew will point to one of those 12 tribes of Israel as their ancestors. Talk about a legacy. If you want to be fruitful, you must learn to leave You must learn to wait. There's no other way. If we are not content, if for some reason you can feel this sort of sense of dissatisfaction or lack of contentment in the place that you are, then there's probably something else that you need to let go of. Because that's how it works. The promise of God to those who desire to be part of God's larger mission means that God will bless us as we leave behind the things that encumber us. The promise of God to those who desire to be part of God's larger mission means that God will bless us and that blessing will come in God's time and and in God's way and it may not be what we hoped for or even dreamed of. But that blessing will come. The promise of God to those who want to join in the mission of God, the missio Dei in this world means that above all else, God will use us to bless others. Now, I have a confession to make. I used to think that if I followed God on this journey of faith, then God would smooth out all of the bumps and he would uh, take care of all of the blind corners along the way. (laughs) What was I thinking? On the contrary, I have discovered that it isn't always the way it works. 
Sometimes engaging in the mission of God is little, a little like groping on a trail in the dark and all you have is your single headlamp that points to the trail about two steps in front of you. So if you desire to be part of God's larger mission in the world and if you're not content with the place that you find yourself in today, then there may be something else that God is asking you to let go of. God may be asking you to leave something behind. God may be saying, wait until my time. And as I conclude my thoughts for today about the mission of God, I want to ask you a question, and this is it. What is God calling you to leave behind? What is God calling you to leave behind? Has your faith become kind of predictable and, and stale? Are, are you stuck in a rut wondering what it's going to take to recover the passion that you once had for God and God's kingdom? Is that you? The surest way to recover the passion of God is for each of us to, to realize that when we leave stuff behind, when we learn to wait, and we, when we learn to receive God's blessing and be a blessing to others, that's when we are walking in the mission, the missio of God. And, and when, we, when you begin to measure your days by this standard, hold on. Trust me. There's, there's no better place to be than on a mission from God even though it requires us to leave to wait to be blessed so that we can bless others let's pray I don't know what that mission entails exactly, oh God, for everybody that's sitting here this morning. In fact, truth be told, I don't even know what it entails exactly for me. But I'm pretty sure there's no place that I would rather be and for those here today who are sensing that same sense of desire give them the ride of a lifetime give them enough light so they can see the next step or two or maybe three. Give them the courage to get up and leave so they can be blessed and they in turn can be a blessing to others. In the name of Jesus, amen.